the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Leviticus 14.33, saying, When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession, or in some versions like NIV, it says a growing mold is what that's talking about. Then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, There seems to me to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease, lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in and see the house, to see the house, and he shall examine the disease. And if the disease is in the walls of the house with greenish or reddish, reddish spots, then if it appears to be deeper than the surface, then the priest shall go out of the house, the door of the house, and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. If the disease has spread in the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take out the stones, which is the disease, and throw them into an unclean place outside the city. He shall have the inside of the house scraped all around, and the plaster that they scrape off they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other plaster and plaster the house. If the disease breaks out again in the house after he has taken out the stones and scraped the house and plastered it, then the priest shall go and look. And if the disease has spread in the house, it is a persistent leprous disease or growing mold, if you read the NIV, it is unclean. And he shall break down the house with stones and timber and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them out of the city into an unclean place. Moreover, whoever enters the house while it is shut up shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever sleeps in the house shall wash his clothes, and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes and looks, and if the disease has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, for the disease is healed. And for the cleansing of the house, he shall take two small birds, and with cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop, and shall kill one of the birds in the earthenware vessel of fresh water. And it continues on to the end of that chapter. It kind of reminds me of this next video I want to show you this morning. Grenade. Yes, of course. The holy hand grenade of Antioch. This is one of the sacred relics Brother Maynard carries with him. Brother Maynard, bring up the holy hand grenade. Pie Jesu Domine, Dona Eis Requiem. 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 How does it, um, how does it work? I know not, my liege. Consult the Book of Armaments. Armaments, chapter 2, verses 9 to 21. And Saint Attila raised the hand grenade up on high, saying, O Lord, bless this thy hand grenade, that with it thou mayst blow thine enemies to tiny bits in thy mercy. And the Lord did grin, and the people did feast upon the lambs, and sloths, and carp, and anchovies, and orangutans, and breakfast cereals, and fruit bats, and large... Skip a bit, brother. And the Lord spake, saying, First shalt thou take out the holy pin, then shalt thou count to three, 
No more, no less. Three shall be the number thou shalt count, and the number of the counting shall be three. Four shalt thou not count, neither count thou two, excepting that thou then proceed to three. Five is right out. Once the number three, being the third number, be reached, then lobbest thou thy holy hand grenade of Antioch towards thy foe, who, being naught in my sight, shall snuff it. Amen. Amen. Right. One, two, five. Three, sir. Three. So there you have it. The holy hand grenade. The reason I show that to you is because it's funny. It's like, the number of thy counting shall be three, and no more of it should proceed if after two, and it goes on. It's like, okay, we, we got it. There was three. The, but it, what's funny about Leviticus is that it's full of all kinds of details. Because I'm sure you're thinking as I'm reading through there about mold inside of a house, where is he going with this? You know, what is the sermon going to be about today? About moldy houses, moldy bread? What's the deal? But the point is, is that as we go through Leviticus, there are so many things that are like that are very very detailed. There's a lot of detail in our lives. And I've been thinking about that this past week. I've had to go through uh, details, doing taxes, getting taxes together. As you go through taxes, there's so many different little details to put in, even simply just entering in to the software that I have to use, a W-2. What's this number and that number and all these kinds of things? But the details matter in the end, don't they? The details matter. Getting ready for, for work every morning, you probably have to go through an issue of details, don't you? Right? Got to brush your teeth. You got to put on the deodorant. We could come up with a list of things, right, that you have to go through, uh, a bunch of details that have to be done before you're ready to go to work. I can't tell you how many times I turn towards Diane as well to get a specific detail about this. Does this match? I've never been good at that. Can I wear this color of shoes where, you know, I don't really know if this goes well together, but, but details essentially are important. Let me give you an example. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, we hear this from the Lord. I'm going to see how fast I can flip here. Matthew 5:18. I'm going to back up to 17, actually. 5, 17, and 18. It says, Do not think, Jesus is speaking, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. The law, by the way, is considered the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, called the Pentateuch, called the five books of Moses. He says, don't think that have come to abolish them, the law or the prophets. The prophets are later on as well. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's interesting. To fulfill them. In other words, you know, Israel could not fulfill them. If anything, the books of Moses, the law, point out the fact that it was going to be impossible for them to truly fulfill all these things, all the details, all the things that were required to live a holy life to God. They continually failed. They continually messed up, which is why all these sacrifices were continually brought before the Lord. 
It was a continual and a bloody reminder of their sin and the unholiness of them and the holiness of God. You cannot be as holy as Him. A reminder as well that you are not God and never will be God. There is one who's holy. There is one who's all-powerful. And you are never going to measure up to that without the work of Christ. And so he says this. He says, I didn't come to abolish it. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them, essentially meaning this, there has been only one perfect human being on this planet. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus came and literally lived a perfect life, which is incredible. Just incredible. I didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he says this, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, the reason I bring that up about details is this, an iota or a dot, and, and, and depending on the translation, it's really not what it's called, but in Hebrew, the actual Hebrew language, if you've seen any Hebrew letters before, there are little tiny dots, and they're called iotas. This is not one iota. Those things in Hebrew, those little tiny dots, have a meaning when it comes to the actual Hebrew language. And, 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 of course, we see English. We don't see what that looks like. We're now looking at a Hebrew scroll in front of us. But the smallest and tiniest of, of words, and even the dots, the commas, if you will, that God put there in the original Hebrew language, not our translation, not one of those, he says, will pass away. He's concerned and knows the details. God is into the details. Okay? We're going to, why is that important? We're going to think about that today. Let's take another passage, and let's look at Luke chapter 12, verse 7. Luke chapter 12, verse 7. And actually, I'm going to do the same thing again to you and back up. I'm sorry. Um, let's go to verse... Now, let's just back up and go to verse 4. Luke 12, 4 through 7. Jesus, again, is teaching, and he says this, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you to fear him. But he says this, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. God knows all the sparrows, all the birds, right? And he says this in verse 7, Why? He says, Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And of course, I have to give my typical joke because I have less hair than others. It just begs the question, you know. So God has an easier accounting with me, you know. But he knows how many, how many hairs Madonna has and when one falls to the ground. 
And that just seems crazy. But God knows. Why? Because he's God. And, and there's a deeper meaning to this, too, that we're going to see. But he knows when, if he, if he watches after the sparrows, and there's a song that we sing at the nursing home, right? If his eyes on the sparrow, watches over. Yeah. If God cares about the birds, and he knows how many hairs are on your head, he says, and the rest of this passage says, fear not. You are of more value. You're of more value than many sparrows. God's into the details because he cares about you. God's into the details because he loves you. You know, and I think it's really, it's really interesting because as we consider the character of God and who God is, when we read Leviticus, we get nervous. We're like, man, God just seems uncaring. He seems unfeeling. And, and, and that's not what Leviticus is really all about. To me, when you look at Leviticus, we see the fact that, number one, we can't accomplish those things without the Lord's righteousness. But we also see this is that God is, is, is beyond reach in the sense that he's just holy and majestic and we make God sometimes very small. You know, and, and I, I didn't mean to show that Monty Python video to make light of God at all, but just draw the attention to the point that he is into the details and if he's into the details and he knows all those things that we don't even know. I don't know how many hairs Jeff has on his head. And even if we tried to count, we would mess it up. Because one would fall off in the process and like, start over at two million again? I, I don't know where it's at. I'm, and I'm follically challenged, you know. So, um, yeah, but God knows. And because he knows, it says something about him that, that God is not far away. And we've been in those moments where we feel alone and we think we're alone, but if God knows those kinds of details, that doesn't mean that he's just created the world and walked away. He's intimately involved in it. He knows. If he knows those details, then he knows you. He knows everything there is to know about you. And you think you know yourself well, because you're the one that has to get up every morning and comb that hair if you have it and brush your teeth if you have them, you know, and all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> and you think you know yourself. Well, he knows you better than you know yourself. He's not a God who's far away. He's a God who's, who's intimately involved in all the details. Who else is involved in all the details? You think about, you know, I think it reminds me of parents being involved in the details of their kids. They're the ones that are helping them to pick out their clothes and to make sure they brush their teeth and to make sure they, they go to bed and get the rest that they need, to make sure they're eating the right kind of stuff, to make sure that the form is filled out with a permission slip for them to go on this trip. And I mean, you think about all the details parents have. That's what drives them nuts. Yeah. God knows even more details. Let me give you... An example of this, and we're going to turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is one of my favorites. Because as you get into Psalm 139, you begin to understand even more the details that God is into. 
Psalm 139, and we're going to begin at the beginning. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. He knew that, Dennis. Dennis just sat down. When I sit down, when I rise up, do you keep track of that? No. Why? It's not important to you, is it? When you sit down, when you rise up. But it matters to God. Those things matter to Him. He doesn't, we don't care when we sit down or we stand up. Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. And he says, you discern my thoughts from afar. He knows what you're thinking. Pretty big deal. You know, and you think, uh, you know, think about how that works maybe as husband and wife. You know, you kind of get an idea. Of, uh, you know what each other's thinking at different times. But not to this level. God knows your thoughts from afar. It says, you search, you search out my path and my lying down. And you're acquainted with all my ways. Even before, and this is crazy, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Know what you say before you're going to say it. Every word. You hem me in behind and before and, and lay your hand upon me. And he says this, which is what naturally comes as we think about this. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I, ca I cannot attain it. How in the world can you know all those things? To know every detail about me. You know, people that are into details, it says something about them. And Dennis and I happen to both be wearing Cub shirts today. Mine's a spring training shirt because I have been obsessed with, with following the Cubs in particular in baseball. You could ask me a lot of different details about the Cubs. And why could I tell you them? Because I really love watching the Cubs play. There's all sorts of stupid details you could probably care less about. But I do. I do. You know, I could, I could name the, the players on the Cubs and and when their next game is, and what time it's at, and this, that, and the other, and all these different kind of stats, and what the team is looking like this year. And first of all, there's going to be some of you out there that could care less about baseball, much less getting into any of the details about it. You know? There's probably two people in here that could name off how many games baseball players play every year. How many? Not, not you, Jeff. You can't answer. Anybody else know? A lot is not the correct answer, but it is... We need a specific number. 47,000. I wish it was that many. How many is it, Jeff? 162 games. This is a church service right now, bro. This doesn't op the Y doesn't open until 1 o'clock. Okay. 
That's all right, man. So, you know, that's a lot. That's a lot of games. But, you know, who else knows that detail, you know? People that are into baseball. People that, that, really, that really care about that kind of stuff. You know, there are details, because we love the Lord, too, that I would dare say that you might be able to spout out. You know, you will probably after the end of this year if you haven't gone through the Bible before. How many books are there in the Bible? Anybody know? Good. Very good. That's not a common thing that you think about. But the Bible is essentially, it's a library, if you will, of 66 different books. It's not just one. It's a collection of different books, writers. And it's just amazing how over a span of so, many, so much time that God has, unif- has a unified story. That's miraculous. To, to begin with, because people just don't agree, you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, give me the details of, um, somebody tell me, where does this come from? For God so loved the world that what, okay, where does that come from? John three sixteen. that's awful specific. That's a detail. The thing is, is that when you know the details, you care. God knows every detail about you and me because he loves you he loves you such knowledge it says in psalm 139 is too wonderful for me it's so high i I can't obtain it and he says in verse 7 where shall i go from your spirit or where shall i flee from your presence if i ascend to heaven you're there if i make my bed in, in sheol which essentially means the place of the dead you are there If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. And he says this, for you, and this is where we've got to think, right? Be reminded of, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Why? Well, he's the one who made us. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame, right, who I am, it was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. This says this, in your book, were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Even before every day happened, it was already written down. He knew what was going to take place. And that's, that's crazy. It's hard for us to imagine that. It's hard for us to think about that. It's also hard for us to understand why some days would be like they have been. God, why would you do this or allow this to happen or cause this to happen? You know, uh, the, I chose that particular verse in Leviticus not just because we read that this week, but, but look at what it says. The Lord spoke, this is Leviticus fourteen thirty three again. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for possession, and I put, and I put a case of leprous disease, which means mold, okay, in a house in the land of your possession. 
God says, when you come into the new land, the promised land that I give you, and I put some mold in this house, I want you to do this about it. God's involved with, make, with telling mold to be in a particular house? First you're like, whoa. Then you're like, why? God, why did you give me mold at my house? Now I've got to deal with this. Now I've got to tear out stones. Now I've got to do, you know, do all these kinds of things. You're like, why? I don't know. I'm going to tell you what, there's going to be a lot about God you're going to have to be comfortable with saying that you don't know. The question why, you have to get comfortable with. I'm going to tell you what, you, you may not like that, but I'm going to tell you it makes complete sense because as big as God is, if God is who he says he is and we can figure it all out, there's a problem. That's a God you've created. God is way too big for us to know all there is to know. The only way that I can ever compare it, and it's a dumb illustration, and I've, I've told this before, is, you know, when I was a kid, I used to, I used to play with Play-Doh. Maybe you, remind, uh, you heard me say this before, right? You know, you, you take the Play-Doh, you make a little Play-Doh figurine, and, and I would make little eyeballs for it in the mouth, and this, you know, and... At that point, it's just a piece of dough. But if, if, let's say I had power to give it life, which I clearly don't, nor do you. And that thing came alive. What does that thing know about me? Nothing. Now, we have the Word of God, which is, which according to the Gospels, you know, where it was talking about Jesus, it was saying that you know, all the books and the libraries in the world couldn't fill up all the things that we could share about Jesus. So you consider what, what the Bible does say. This is all we know about God is what we have right here. As big as God is, this is not a lot of information, but we know what we need to know for now. But even if you had the entire Bible completely memorized, which many people actually have done, believe it or not, you would still know a fraction, a minuscule amount about God. You can't answer every question. Faith is essential. It is essential. But that Plato figure that I, let's go back to for a moment ago, doesn't know anything about me until I tell it. I say, here, this is, this is who I am. But even if I was to give him my own Bible, so to speak, he wouldn't know everything there is to know. Can that Plato figure, for example, know what it's like to watch a Cubs game? You're like, well, who cares? But I do. Um, first of all, he doesn't know what baseball is. He has no clue in the understanding of the game, which a lot of you in here probably are still confused about why did this happen, right? In baseball, this, that, and the other, how many games. He doesn't care. He doesn't know. He doesn't have any idea. He doesn't know what it's like to eat a hot dog, you know? doesn't know what, it, what it's like to have peanuts and Cracker Jacks and to ride a, a roller coaster and to throw up afterwards because you ate too many hot dogs and peanuts and Cracker Jacks or whatever. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't know those things. It's too wonderful for us. It's too big. It's too high. And we have to come to a point where there are things that happen in our lives that, that we may not consider good things and are there things that are clearly bad things too that God allowed to happen that we don't know why, we don't understand why. And I wish I had a great example to physically show you, but, uh, 
a great illustration I've heard from folks before, the, the whole idea of a tapestry. If you've ever seen a tapestry, that's a, you know, like a, a thing that's made out of cloth, that's knit and, you know, sewn together, if you will, and, and when you look at the side that's meant to be displayed, it looks beautiful. But on the back side of it, all you see are just these different little strings and dots and this, that, and the other, and it doesn't make any sense. But when you look at it on the other side, you see a beautiful picture. What is God doing? If we knew, we would be God. We are clearly not. But God's involved in the details. And it's good to know that he is. That he loves you. That he cares about you. To the point even of being involved somehow in putting mold in a house. Why? I don't know. I don't know. But he's involved in the details. As we continue to, oh, I lost my spot. I want to look at a couple more things in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, let me get back there. You probably flipped to another page too. Maybe not. I wanted to share this last part of it. <clears throat> We've talked about all these details. We've talked about how he's the one that formed us, the one that he, he's the one that put us together. In verse 17 of Psalm 139, it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them, the thoughts that he has for us. It says in verse 18, If I would count them, they are more than the sand. There's a detail we don't know. And I love to go to the beach. How many grains of sand are there? Nobody could give me that number. But God can. And the cool thing is, is that he knows those details. And even his thoughts of us outnumber the sand. He loves us that much. I guarantee you that, you know, that there are details. You think you might be a great parent, but there are details you, you don't know about your kids that God knows. You just can't. Because God sees everything and knows everything. You've heard the term before, omniscient. means all-knowing. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. He's all-present. He, he's just above our understanding. But with what we do have, as we hold Scripture between us, I want to know as much as I can know and walk in a relationship of faith with Him. Everything matters to God. We're going to look at one final Verse, and we're going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 12. Hope I didn't write down the wrong reference here. Make sure. Oh, I'm in Matthew. That's why. That doesn't fit. <laughs> Luke chapter 12, if I didn't say that. <clears throat> Verse 22. So keeping in mind that God cares about the details, let's look at this and, and close out with this today. 
Jesus is speaking again, and he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. It's another word for being anxious. That's the word, right? Don't worry. He says, don't worry about what you'll eat, about your body, about what you're going to wear, right? For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. It's bigger than that, isn't it? I was talking to Jeff the other day, and he really encouraged me. He was like, because I was stressing out about the taxes, he's like, you know what? It's just money. Uh, yeah, there are much bigger things to worry about. You know? And God says not to worry. Life is more than all this. And he says, consider the ravens. Here's the birds again, right? They, they don't sow nor reap. They have neither a storehouse or a barn, right? They don't have a storage house where they put all this, their stuff. And he says, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, I love this, by being anxious or worrying, right, can add a single hour to his span of life? What do you accomplish when you worry? <laughs> yeah, heart trouble, stress, reduced lifespan. Yeah. You accomplish nothing. And yet we... we we do, we worry. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Okay? Can you add a single hour? And of course, he answers that question. If then you are not able, you can't do it, if you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? You can't control that. Why are you trying to control other things too? Why are you trying to control everything? There's only one who's over the details. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory, great king in the Old Testament, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, it's just such a little thing, right? How much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. He knows that you need all this stuff. Because he's the one that made you. He's the one that's looking after you, just like he does the birds and the grass and all these saying things that don't matter compared to you who do. How much do you matter? God himself came down and died on a cross so he could have a relationship with you forever. While the birds and the grass and everything else is just, it's gone. He wants a relationship with us. He says, all the rest of the world worries about this thing. God knows that you need them. And so what are we supposed to do? If we're not supposed to worry, if we're not supposed to stress and worry about all the, these physical things that, that truly don't matter, this is what he says to do instead. Instead, seek his kingdom. 
seek his kingdom. And that says these things will be added to you. But what you are supposed to seek is his kingdom. The things of God. That's always going to be the most important thing. Seeking his kingdom. What does that mean for you right now? What does that mean for today? What does that mean for tomorrow? What does that mean for this hour? Seeking his kingdom. Putting God first. It's, 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 this, this is fundamental in everything. If God is not first, it doesn't work. It doesn't matter. It doesn't last. It doesn't hold. All the other details, all the other worries, all this other crap doesn't matter. Foundational truth will always matter. God. It all has to be wrapped around him. He always must be first in everything. And we get that flip-flopped and turned upside down and backwards and sideways and stressed out and this, that, and the other and wrapped up in things you think are important that don't matter. It's all about God. It's all about him. It's great to have a God that does know the details. Because he's the one that's in control. He's the one that's handling everything. Seek his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for you. Lord, help us to have a better perspective and, and be reminded of how big and majestic and amazing and, and incredible you are. We have no idea how big you are. Lord, for you to know the, the kind of details that we just mentioned, of the, how many grains of sand and things of that nature, to know, to think that you know all those kind of things, be reminded of that reminds us how big you are and how small we are we're glad that you're in control that you can handle all that stuff we don't have to worry and you just want us to seek after you that's always the answer that's always the solution that's the only thing that ever makes any sense and so lord we trust you we place our faith in you afresh and anew today we love you we're grateful for all that you are and all that you've done Lord, we give our days to you. Lord, we seek you. We seek your kingdom. Lord, help us to let that truly be our main focus as you handle all the details. We love you and we thank you for this time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.